Good morning. Good morning. If you would turn with me to Psalm 121. I guess you saw that coming. Um, you know, if every week, wouldn't it be great if every Sunday there was like a hymn we could sing that ties straight in? You'll come pretty close to this. Um, thank you all for praying for Yost and Julie and myself and Lydia. Um, we go early in the morning. Um, so just so you'll know, this is the last day of Yo's life that he will be 100% Egyptian. Um, cannot claim that anymore. Sorry to Mama and Daddy Zachary. Um, turn to Psalm 121. Here we go. I'll begin this way. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen? Amen. 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 There's so much to be said about this particular passage. Um, I want to try to uh, bring to mind, um, I think, some great truths that we can uh, just drink up from this. Um, one of the things I told Lydia last night, that the, the more I read the Bible, the less I seem to know, and that the more I seem to know. Um, it is this beautiful tapestry that you look at it from different angles, from the front to the back, and it just is beautiful and amazing. And it's timely, too, often when it comes into our life. I mean, I think it's timely today, having prayed for Yost in this, um, to ask this question, where does our help come from? If you notice, uh, he uses the word keep or keeper about six times in this passage. Um, clearly, it's about keeping us. Uh, as there's a, a hymn that was, a modern hymn that was taken from that, those words we sang uh, from a hymn that was written in the early 1900s called Hold Me Fast. He will hold me fast. You might want to listen to that as well. Um, but there's such beautiful language here as we go through it. As, as scholars look at this particular psalm that was written by David, um, people had different kind of ideas about what it, what it was looking at uh, metaphorically or what was going on. And so there's three different versions. One is they believe it's a, it's a soldier's psalm, a soldier's psalm. And a soldier's psalm because there are people going out into battle and praying the Lord would keep them and protect them. Some also believe it's the traveler's psalm, meaning we're heading out on a journey. Um, and so keep us on that journey that we're on. Um, I might kind of share some of the sentiments of great theologian Charles Simeon, who believes it's somewhat of a, a wilderness or a desert psalm. Because clearly they, the, the illusion he uses here in this passage is the things that you would find in the desert. Certainly the Israelites, Israelites found in their 40 years of going through the wilderness, their, their feet would often stumble on rock. They would have to walk under the, the heat of the sun and the, the cool nights of the moon. And obviously there was danger at every turn. And so maybe it is the soldier psalm, the traveler psalm, or the desert psalm. Let me just give to you the words of Charles Simeon. He's a great theologian you may want to read at some point. He says this, the roughness of their untrodden path would often occasion their feet to slip, speaking of the Israelites. The heat of the sun by day and the influence of the moon, together with the noxious damps by night, would greatly afflict them in their journey. 
and their danger from savage beasts or venomous reptiles would tend to keep them in continual alarm. But God promises that no evil shall hurt those who trust in Him. That was his way to look at Psalm 21. It's certainly a psalm of comfort and confidence, no doubt, for God's care for, His love for His children. Six times, as I mentioned, he uses that word, keeps. So whether he's keeping you on a battlefield, whether he's keeping you on some journey you're on, or certainly as he's keeping you just as you go through the wilderness of your life. And that's what we are in on this side of heaven. It's somewhat of a wilderness at times. Because we're not living for this side of heaven. We're living and looking forward to our eternal home in heaven. As one author said when he looked at the word Israel, he said, that new Jerusalem that beautiful moment, just as they were in the desert, looking for that future home. And he keeps us in the in-betweens, between the already and the not yet of where we're going. So let's look at some of these passages. Let's start with the very first one. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? It would be hard to have spent any time in the Christian faith or in the Bible and not have heard this particular phrase. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Now, I had to pause for a minute and think, where was David when he wrote this? What was he referring to? Certainly not the hills of Colorado, because he wasn't there. Certainly not some hills in another country. He, he was near Jerusalem, most likely. And perhaps he was looking up at the hills of Mount Moriah or Mount Zion. Uh, you know, this last year we went to Israel and we got to see uh, the Golan Heights there by the Sea of Galilee. We got to travel to the top uh, of the Masada out in the southern region of the deserts. And you, of course, have spent time all over those areas I just named. Am I right? For years and years. And I'm sure you have those moments, and some of you have been to Israel, just like David, where he just looked up to the hills. Whew, kind of in wonder. So here's my question. Was David looking up to the hills with this wonder of comfort and hope of going, oh, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And it almost this hopeful worship. And I think many of us who have been there, and if you go there, you, you would find that same thing. But I can't help but wonder if maybe David is also looking in grief and sorrow and despair at moments and just nodding his head saying, oh, I look up to the hills. Where does, where does my help come from? Out of desperation. And you have prayed those same two prayers, have you not? Where you look up to the heavens and you're just so excited and you worship and then you look up at the heavens and your shoulders are kind of downcast and your soul is in despair, but you're still crying out to the Lord. Where does my help come from? So let me ask you this morning, where does your help come from? Where does it come from? And I don't mean to give me a sort of a Sunday school answer. I want you to think deeply about where your help comes from or maybe where your hope comes from. I know that some of us, our help, unfortunately, comes from those things that are temporal, those things that we can see and feel. I often say that in our life that um, we struggle with three things, uh, health problems, money problems, and relationship problems. But good news, I have good news for you today, all that is taken care of with the iPhone, right? So, <laughs> so think about it like this. The other day, I had blood work done. Uh, Yost and I have still got scars. This is bruising from when they took like 15 vials of blood to check me out, right? And Yost did the same thing. And I get my report, and I were getting in bed, and I said, oh, I have something to show you. I said, I want you to see just how good my blood work is, as this is going to impress my wife. And so we went through the list of all the things, my BUN and my hemoglobin and all that stuff. You know? 
and I was looking so good. I was right in range. In other words, I fell asleep that night feeling so hopeful that I have a healthy body. But you and I both know that could change today, tomorrow, next week, right? So if I put my hope in what I see on my iPhone of those great results, it could fall away. Well, maybe that doesn't work. So I flip to another app and I see our bank account. Look, honey, we have money in the bank. Isn't this good? Oh, the stock market went down, but now it's going back up. You know, that stock we have, you know, it's going up. Now our hope is restored. And if that's not enough, the stock market crashes, we can always go to Facebook and see pictures of our grandchildren and how happy and healthy they are. Isn't this make us feel good? Oh, my help comes from my iPhone, we might say today. Let me tell you something. If you're putting your hope in your iPhone or what might be there for you any particular day, you are not looking up to the hills of heaven. Listen, we are surrounded by hills. Hills that have enemies on them. Hills that have rocks that will stumble. Hills that have the, 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 the animals that may attack us. Our hope has to come from the Lord. He said, my feet talks about there. Oh, excuse me. Let me go back. Um, in Jer- Jeremiah 3.23, I just want to punctuate this one extra time. Jeremiah said, truly the hills, this is what he said, are a delusion. The hills are a delusion. Truly in the Lord, our God is the salvation of Israel. So where does our help come from? If not those things, if not the hills of our life that we look at, if not the technology, if not the money, if not the relationship, if not our own family even. Because our help ultimately can't come from that. He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help, my hope, my satisfaction in this present age is in the Lord. And while David lived before the coming of the Messiah, he, came, he lived before the cross, he lived before the resurrection. You understand that David, although on the other side of the cross from us, he lived with his hope in the promise that was given to Abraham. Does he not? Yeah, and, and that he would be, Jesus would be the line and lineage of David. So David and all the prophets before, all the people before the cross, those who are in Christ today were there because they were looking toward the Messiah. The hope of what would come. And the prophet spoke, obviously, of what would come. In Psalm 51, you know that we know that even in his greatest despair, he was asking, Lord, let not your spirit pass from me. Restore my hope as he repented of his sin. And remember, too, this, that even as David may have been looking at material, physical things, at the Ark of the Covenant, at the temple up there on the mount, he may have seen these things. Just, just always know those things because of the nature of them, they were temporal, meaning they were physical things. But they represented a spiritual, beautiful thing, which is Christ, right? So he was looking, even as he looked to those, and even as we look at communion, those are just elements of bread and wine, right, that pass away. But we're looking at our hope in Christ. And so David was doing the same as we do. When we stand and sing sometime in a church that may have a cross, not Southern Baptist churches, of course, but when we stand and sing, I'm just kidding, as we stand and sing oftentimes in churches that have beautiful crosses up on them, as I did my whole life in a Methodist church, we're looking at a physical piece of element that's going to fade away eventually, but we're looking to our hope in the cross of Christ. That's what we're seeing when we do that. And so David had this resolute commitment to the Lord. And notice this. He defines it by the creative power and the authority of the, of the creation wrought by God. Isn't that interesting? He could have said a lot of things. He could have just stopped and said, my help comes from the Lord, period. It does. 
But as often you will see that he goes back all the way to the beginning because I think he wanted to remind us and remind himself that ultimately at the very beginning, not really the beginning, but the beginning as we think it of, there was creation. And so maybe he was reminding us of the creative God so that when we look at all these things that are out there in our life and that make us hopeless or feel helpless, he's saying to us, look, do you realize that the one who could speak a word from his mouth and create the canopy of the galaxies above and throw sun, moon, and stars into them effortlessly is the one who helps you now. Just think about this. The, the very earth we stand on, the, the, all the, the different parts of the world and the ocean that he can hold in the palm of his hand. I think David wanted to say, think of that when you're worried about where your hope comes from and your help comes from. It comes from the maker of heaven and earth. That ought to root us into who we serve. And so when people talk about, oh, it's all just evolution, it's all just random, that, that would give me a sense of fear and, and uncertainty if I thought life was random. If there wasn't a creator, as I often say, if there's a creation, there is a creator who brought this in to being. So he speaks of this, and we can say, he will hold me fast. He will keep me. I think you see this in Scripture at different times. In John 6, just turn to John 6 if you have your Bible. In, in John 6, Jesus is talking with his disciples. And I could quote part of it, but I just, I just want to set it up. If you go to John 6, 60, he said this, John 6, verse 60. He says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Do you remember what the hard saying was? It says, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said that when he was feeding them. This is a hard saying. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this and said, to them, do not take offense at this. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending up where, the, where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. Don't hope in it. That's not your help. It's the Spirit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Some who are hopeless. Some who feel helpless who look at the hills surrounding them and don't know what's going to happen. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said this, That is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. What an authoritative statement he makes to his disciples. But what I love about this is you drop to 66, Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Because he's asking this question. He says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I, I say this because Peter gives us this great sentence. When life is hopeless and helpless to us, we look around. Not only can we look at the maker of heaven and earth, but the maker of heaven and earth is the one we say to in the form of Christ to go, who else would I go to for my help? What, what, what else would I do? do. I mean, yes, we're going to go to UT Southwestern tomorrow. Thank the Lord we have doctors and procedures we can go to. But if you're wondering at all about the hope Yost is putting in that hospital, it is secondary. It is submissive to the great hope he puts in the maker of heaven and earth. And he and I and others would say, and all of you, I hope, would say, where else are we going to go? Like, that you're, you're everything. 
You know, like the maker of life, you hold eternal life in your hands. In Romans 8, 38 through 39, a passage many of you are familiar with, what bold declarations Paul makes here. I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So, so if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. Hear these words. That God is keeping you for all eternity. He will hold you fast. You know, the, the, this hymn was written back in the early 1900s because a, a man came to a revival in Canada and he expressed to the preacher how uncertain he felt about his salvation. And the preacher thought, I want to find a hymn writer and I want to give people hope in song that God will hold them fast, that he will keep them. It's as though he's reading these passages. The famous Matthew Henry said this in response to this first part. He said, we must see all our help laid in God, in his power, in goodness, his providence, and grace. And from him, we must expect it to come. This is why we have comfort in God, but also we have confidence, right? So one of the great traits of a Christian ought to be humble confidence. Does that make sense? So the sense of I am humble and submissive, but I'm also confident that we, he will finish what he started, right? He will take us all the way to heaven. He will hold us fast. And so I want to just tell you a few things. How does he do this? I think there's three ways he shows us in this passage. How does he keep us? The first, and it's in your notes, you can write it in. He sustains us. He sustains us. I don't have the clicker, but it's okay. Yeah, go a couple, just so it's up there. Just go the one that says he sustains us. That way to help moving forward. I had forgotten that, sorry. In verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. <laughs> I, I have to say, when I saw this passage, and I've seen it before, I, 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 I immediately go to like, seeing a person stumbling over rock. I, I, obviously, that's the metaphor. But then I get a little discouraged because I know what it's speaking about. It's stumbling in our walk with Jesus, right? Stumbling in sin and lack of faith. And, and I'm looking at it, and I, and I wrote these words. I said, I often move towards sin. I move away from his love and grace. I hide like Adam and Eve in the garden, fearing my shame. In other words, my feet does move. So how do I reconcile this? In the hymn, he will hold me fast, it's phrased like this. I could never keep my hold through life's faithful, fearful path, for my love, love is often cold. He will hold me fast. And I read that, yes. That's what, that's what our feet moving looks like. Our love for God grows cold, and our feet begin to slip. But let me remind you of this. In God's providence, he makes sure his children's feet will, be not, will not be moved from the path of redemption. Let me say that again. In God's providence, he makes sure, he guarantees that your feet will not be moved from the path of redemption. Because he's in charge of that. He holds fast to all of us, all the way to our heavenly home when we're in Christ. Just think of all these quick passages, like in Psalm 66. He who has kept our soul among the living has not let, what? Our feet slip. 
Proverbs 3.23, then you walk on your way securely and your feet will not stumble. And Proverbs, another Proverbs, I think is 3.26, he said, the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. This is what God does. He keeps it from slipping, from moving, from stumbling and being caught because you are his if you're in Christ. And let me remind you of the great links he goes to to keep us from being moved. Just listen to this. He builds arcs. He parts seas. He kills giants. He sends manna from heaven, water from rocks, and he sent his son to carry the cross of our sin up the rocky trail of rebellion. And at the end of that trail, he died a death we deserved. He was buried in a tomb that was ours. He rose from that grave in victory. And then, as he says in Ephesians 6, he shods our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace so that we can do what? So we can run out of our grave and into our eternal home. Do you hear all that? He, he does that. He's been doing that since the beginning. He's been keeping his people all along the way from the kings that sought to kill them, from the pharaohs, from our own sin. He does this for us. If you, if you need confidence that he's going to sustain you, read Psalm 51. If you don't read that, when you come face to face with your sin, you're not seeing the gravity, the gravity of how much he keeps your feet from moving because he continued to restore David. In the psalm, the hymn, he will hold me fast. Here's some other words. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. If that's not enough, good news today. Here, here's some other good news. Just kind of, it's like he just wanted to insert this in and say, oh, by the way, and this God never sleeps. Never. He doesn't sleep. It's not part of the equation of his life. One author said that God, I like this, he has sleepless vigilance for his children. Do you remember those nights when your kids were little and you would sleep in their room? or outside the room because you knew they were had unrest because of illness or maybe they were having night terrors and you had a sleepless vigilant for your children that you would be there for them most of you still have that but we do sleep oh we fall asleep even the disciples fell asleep when they were supposed to be praying well <laughs> and he came down and said could you not even tarry one hour could you not be vigilant enough even for an hour and let me tell you something god is vigilant 24 7. And he always will be. There is no end to that. He loves us. He cares for us. He watches over us. And incidentally, all creatures sleep. That's why when you go to the zoo and you're a little disappointed because the lion sleeps 20 hours a day. So you're only lucky if you get there and he's awake, right? The bears are sleeping at the Baylor Zoo, at the Baylor uh, Bear Pit all the time. Because creatures sleep, but God does not. The next thing I want you to know is he protects us. In verse 5, it says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by night, by day, nor the moon by night. I, I think there's no doubt this is referencing the 40 years in the wilderness. There's just no way around this. This has to be an homage to that, right? Of, of saying, hey, look, they're going to be wandering in the wilderness. And we know, right, they had a, a fire by day, right, and a cloud by night watching over them. And so clearly it's, it's an encouragement in that. But both of those have the ability to harm us, don't they? 
don't they? The sun and the moon. And so he's saying, I'm going to protect you. Even though they're the lamp and the light of our path as they go through the wilderness, he's going to protect us from these. I think about the sun. It's got this relentless burning heat that some of you have experienced before. We know that we went to the desert and laid out in the desert for a day. We're not going to make it. The sun, literally the sun is going to be the thing that kills us. But then the moon comes out at night and amazing and awful scary things happen at night, right? So you go from the heat to the frost and the coolness of night and then we know what happens. Creatures come out at night. Just think about that. 40 years in the wilderness. Can you imagine the level of creatures that must have come after them, right? And also thieves and robbers come out at night as well, right? People don't steal anything during the day. You steal at night. And you can't be seen. He protects us from those things as well. But I think there's something just a little beyond this as well. Is that he does this 24-7, day and night. So the sun and the moon, one of them's always out, right? Well, they're always, always out. But one of them we see at different times, right? So there's a 24-7, that relentless vigilance of God protecting us. Matthew Henry said this about the sun and the moon. You shall not be hurt either by the open assaults of my enemies, which are as visible as the scorching beams of the sun, or by their secret treacherous, treacherous attempts, which are like the dangerous effects of the cold by night. Oh, I wish we had a Matthew Henry today in our modern time who could take something from Scripture and put it into a way that just seems to impact us and apply to our lives. Because, friends, there are enemies of God everywhere. People hate God. And the Bible tells us if they hate God, they're going to hate us. But God never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always protecting us from the heat of those who hate us. He's protecting us from all the things out there that could, could damage and hurt our life. And you might say, well, Jay, but if that's true, then why do we get hurt? Then why do sometimes the enemies actually cut off the heads of Christians and burn them on stakes? It's true. If you have a temporal mindset about your body, that would be true. Then God would fail. But when you read the Bible, you must read it with an eternal mindset. Not a temporal mindset about your body. This body, the bones, the skin, the muscles, give it enough time, it will break down. But the soul that's held fast by the keeper, the promised keeper, which is Christ, will last forever. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's referring to. Now, some of you might live a very long time. I just talked to somebody, heard somebody that had a 107-year-old grandfather. 107. The person said it in a joking way. He loves his grandfather, but, but he said, 107? He goes, I think it's his time. He goes, 107? He goes, he said, I need a house. I mean, you know, I, I need to inherit a house. It's been so long. And the reason he can make light of that is because we all know 107? Your body hasn't broken down yet, but it will. Thanks be to God. We're not interested in our bodies. We're interested in heaven. And that's where our soul resides. And by the way, there's a new body and a new body waiting for us there. Now he says this, the Lord is the shade on your right hand. Don't miss this. Scripture often refers to the right hand of God being a place of protection and a hand of offense toward the wicked. 
Just listen to these couple of passages. Psalm 16, 8. Many of you are familiar with this. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. He's at my right hand. He's there for me. You know, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He's at your right hand. Psalm 109 says, For he stands at the right hand of the needy one, that's us, to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. There are people who want to condemn your soul to death. Your own sin condemns your soul to death. But God, thanks be to God, he sends us Christ, who is the shade at our right hand, who protects us, who redeems us from condemnation. Then finally, Psalm 110.5, the Lord is at your right hand. He will do what? Shatter kings on the day of his wrath. That's the hand of offense. He comes with his scepter, riding on a horse. What joy it is to know. This is why I go back to that humble and confident thing. I want you to feel emboldened, courageous, strong, confident, not in your own strength, but in the strength and the might of the right hand of God who will not let your feet be slipped. He will not let the sun and the moon destroy us. He sustains us. He keeps us for all eternity. He holds us fast. But he does something else. He preserves us. He preserves us. Verse 7 said, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Let me say it like this. He keeps us from evil by preserving our lives from the condemning effect of evil. You understand that? He keeps you from evil by preserving your life through Christ from the condemning effect of evil. It doesn't mean we will never fall into temptation and commit acts of evil sin. It doesn't mean that. You have, even as a Christian, you may again as a Christian. But because of the power of the blood of Christ, we cannot be condemned for that because it's already been settled at the cross. Whatever evil sin you may commit, and I pray you don't, but it's been settled at the cross. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, even if we fall into temptation and commit evil acts of sin. In John 17, 15, Jesus prayed for his people the night before he died. He said, I did not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And were kept, kept from the evil one by the mighty hand of God. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 2 Thessalonians 3. I do want to mention this. I think it ties in very well. One of the beautiful things as you turn to that, I'll mention, I used the word tapestry earlier. The Bible truly is this beautiful tapestry. And make no mistake, there is a particular thread that runs through this tapestry from beginning to end, and it is red because it is the thread of Christ. And you can find it anywhere as you read through the scriptures. And so this beautiful tapestry, sometimes we look at the front side of it, some of the back side of it, but what's so cool about it is threads connect. And so here we are in Psalm 121, and it takes us to the Gospels, and then it takes us to Genesis 1. And here we find ourselves in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. This is why you will never tire, you will never end of seeing the beautiful tapestry, the mosaic of the Bible. It says this, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored has happened among you, and that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, 
But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now just, just let your eyes just kind of scan that particular passage. He's a delivering God. He delivers us from evil. We don't have faith. It's not our faith. It's the faith of the Lord that sustains us. The Lord is always faithful. He establishes us. He guards us. He directs our hearts. Do you see that, that, that movement of God toward us, toward his children, to keep us, as Psalm 121 keeps saying. He is our promise keeper. He's our guard. He's our director. He's faithful. Just three quick things from this passage. The Lord Jesus Christ is faithful. That's not you and me. That's Jesus is faithful. Keep in mind, he's faithful to the law because he's fulfilled it. He didn't abolish the law. I'm amazed how many teachers will actually use that sentence. He didn't abolish it. He fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law. Jesus is faithful as our substitutionary atonement for sin. He substituted his life for our life. That's how faithful he was. He is faithfully seated at the right hand of God. Friends, you, you will stumble on the rocks. Right? The, the heat of the sun will be felt by you, Ben. You might even find yourself tempted to commit acts of evil sin. But I want you to know something. If you're in Christ, he is faithful, faithful to keep you. All the way to eternity. What good news is that? Let's end with this. He keeps you forever. He just keeps you forever. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let me remind you of this truth. And this, you're, when I say this, you're going to think, you know, that is so true. I just, I, it has played out in my life so many times. He may not always keep you from sin and temptation or from suffering or grief or pain, but he will always keep you through them. Let me say that again. He doesn't always keep us from these things, but I want to tell you, you have a God who will always keep you through them. And he, does, he doesn't keep you to the end. People will say that kind of thing. Well, he's just going to keep us to the end. No, he does not keep you to the end. He keeps you to eternity, and eternity has no end. You see what a great faith we have? Everyone knows on this side of heaven they're suffering a pain. No one escapes it. Nobody. Not the children, not the adults, not the elderly. Nobody. But in Christ, we are kept through those things, and not to the end, but through eternity, which has no end. What a joy that is. What a hope that is. Lydia and I were just in the car today, and, and my kids and I were talking yesterday about how they deal with arguments, and, and they said, how do y'all deal with arguments? And I said, I don't know. The older we get, the less we seem to argue. It's just not that important. Things that seem to be important, why are we fighting over that? This should put that in perspective. I didn't mean to make this a sermon today or a message today about marriage, but the whole Bible is a message about your marriage, and this will transform your marriage. Because your marriage is going to be filled with stumbling on rocks. Your marriage is going to be filled with the heat of pressure. Your marriage is going to be filled with the spouse who commits sins that you didn't know he or she was going to commit. And you have to know in the midst of that marriage that he's holding you fast. He's keeping you and not to the end of the marriage. He's keeping you for all eternity, which has no end. Forever 
more coming in and coming out. In the past, in the song, he will hold me fast. He says, he'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. He will hold me fast. I'm going to give you just a few minutes, a couple of minutes, to look at some discussion questions. Because it's important to apply these. This song, He Will Hold Me Fast, that's sung by Shane and Shane, it's a beautiful song, was my theme song for 2018, end of 2018, all of 2019. Never had a theme song until then. Because I felt the burning of the sun. I felt the loneliness of nights. I felt the sorrow of death in my family. I felt the rejection of friends in my life. And I would ride in my car and sing out with Shane and Shane, which they are so good and I'm so bad. And I would sing this song, He Will Hold Me Fast. Because even my own wife at times wouldn't know how to hold me fast. My children couldn't hold me fast. My money, my health, it couldn't hold me fast. Only the promise keeper Jesus holds me fast in 2019 until all eternity. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for these friends of mine. Bless them, Lord God. Father, give us just a couple of minutes just to reflect. Maybe someone at a table needs to just confess something or just share how he's held them fast. Bless them as they enter to worship church this morning. Be with our Pastor John as he proclaims God's word. We love you in your name. Amen. There are a few questions at the bottom of your sheet. They have just a couple of minutes to do that. Just take a few minutes and then Janet will dismiss us.